Okay, at this time we'll be having our Bible study on Ephesians, and it'll be brought to us by Mr. Art Williams. We're going to be on lesson four of the study guide, and it's going to be chapter two, and we're going to be looking at specifically um, verses 11 through 22. <clears throat> and we're going to be talking about a basic element of the church, basic element of Christianity, the, the family, which we're all part of as a Christian, no matter what country you're living in. I'd like to get somebody to open up the Bible study with uh, reading the introduction out of chapter 4. If you have the study guide, any volunteers to read the introduction out of the... It's on uh, page 23. Welcome to the family, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. If someone would volunteer. Curtis? Yeah, I'll start out. One of the greatest worldwide problems of our time is the plight of refugees and asylum seekers. People in the West sometimes try to pretend that the world is now a civilized place where most people can go about their business in peace and at least relative prosperity. But the evidence suggests that is over-optimistic. More people than ever, it seems, are displaced from homes and homelands and find themselves wondering the world in search of somewhere to live. The countries where they arrive are often overwhelmed and find that their resources and their patience are under strain despite feeling sympathetic to people who have often suffered a great deal. What refugees want above all, assuming that they can never return to their original homes, is to be accepted into a new community where they can rebuild their lives and their families. And the ultimate sign of that acceptance is to receive citizenship in the country they have adopted as their own. Their new passport is often their proudest possession. At last, they can hold their heads up and build a new sense of identity. They have arrived. They belong. The study guide goes on to open with the question... Have you ever sought to be part of a new group or a new country? A circle of friends, perhaps at school or at work, or a club. And can you, define, can you describe your experience in doing that? And one of my biggest changes was going off to college, being raised in upstate New York and going off to Illinois, and wondering who was going to be my roommate. It's pretty scary. And I was blessed because my roommate was a Seventh-day Adventist. So that was really fantastic. So what was your, some of your experiences in going out to a, a, a new country or a new circle of friends, a new school, a new work? Anybody? Sean? Since I moved to Oklahoma back in 2011, I've had several jobs here. <laughs> so I've had to learn to meet new people you know the longest one I held here is about four and a half years so I got to know a lot of people there but then moving on to other places it's like getting reacquainted settling in learning how to be with these other people getting to know them so just that type of atmosphere learning to and I think the more I've met people it's easier to um, adapt and change to, to the circumstances and such of course be who I am and set a right example but it's just been easier as I've gone to new places as new job and opportunities open up. So getting experienced in those multiple job opportunities gave you a little bit more confidence you were you were less intimidated by it you were more sure of yourself. Absolutely. 
Anyone else? Steve? Yeah, it was uh, an interesting experience to, to um, be a young man coming into the Worldwide Church of God. <laughs> uh, the first, I actually tried to come to the church uh, in, in 1968, um, and I came up to the building that they told me that they were keeping the service in, and there was no one there. <laughs> and here I am wanting to come to church, and there's nobody there. What happened, you know? What's, what's going on? Well, I, f I found out they were all at the feast that year, you know. And here I was, pretty dumb kid, didn't know nothing really, <laughs> coming into the, this congregation. And so this was, it was quite an experience to start out with. And, and here I am, 50-plus years later, um, thankful that, that God didn't say, okay, turn around and go somewhere else, that I that I made a, a choice and kept staying with it. When, 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 you first, when you first arrived there, were you kind of fearful? No, anyway. Um, anyone else about your experiences in uh, uh, Matthew? Um, so, obviously, uh, I moved country. <laughs> yeah. So, that... that, that this passage is, uh, resonates with me pretty well. I mean, I moved here to, as I wrote down and uh, told my wife this morning, to be with the love of my life. And um, it, you know, it <clears throat> sent me on a new path, so a new family um, and uh, a new church. Uh, some of you probably remember the first time I showed up and this skinny, strange-sounding Englishman on, on the scene. Um, new community. And of course, new uh, new country, um, and I've always uh, been intrigued how God has used my own story to speak to me. Um, you know, we all have that, right? Regardless of our circumstances, but um, it's been very much I, I resonate with that we are strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land. You know, and uh, I I lived that for a while. Uh, it feels a little less foreign than it did. Uh, but, but still, it, you know, he's used that to help remind me of what we're all on a journey and we're all in this foreign land and we're all seeking that new community in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. uh, David? Yeah, kind of like uh, some of the others. Uh, Steve was talking about 68 going to the feast and the church wasn't here. Well, Fortunately, that particular year, Fran and I were able to, to have success. We started in January of, of 1968, but uh, I remember the, the feeling that we both had. We had uh, four little kids. One was, the baby was, I think, six months old. But anyway, uh, we had been uh, contributing financially to the Worldwide Church for about six, seven years and taking a lot of their literature, and, and Fran would read a lot of it to me, but we didn't know that they had a church here. We just vicariously, I mean, just accidentally found out that there was a church here. And But I remember our first Sabbath and sitting there and just seeing the people around. There was still a young congregation. There were about, what, 150 people or something like that. But uh, outside our baptism and maybe Prandi's marriage and some of our children, that was a, one of the most exhilarating feelings. To, to actually be here around after all these years thinking that we're the only ones in town that believe this way and that we they accepted us they were all so friendly and so so kind and, and I'll never forget that first Sabbath there and uh, you know we'll, we'll cherish that the rest of our life so you you felt welcomed on that very first oh, day oh absolutely just yeah. absolutely awesome mm -hmm. Curtis yeah, this is not quite as big as moving countries or even moving states, but the, three years ago I was at a job that I had been at for eight years, and I was very comfortable in the job. I was a teacher, uh, and I wanted to get promoted, and the way you get promoted in education typically is you become in some sort of position in administration, like an assistant principal. And so very happy at this job very uh, loved the people people were great felt at home there and I decided to apply 
for an assistant principal job at another district, thinking that it would just be maybe a good experience just to, you know, if I applied, maybe I'll get an interview, and if I get an interview, I don't have any administration experience, so there's no way they're probably going to hire me. Well, I got an interview, and I got hired. And so it was difficult to leave that job. It was a huge promotion, but it was a really difficult because of how much I enjoyed where I worked, the people I worked with, and it was just a scary feeling. Even though it was a big promotion and going into a new position where people I didn't even know, I was going to be their boss. And so what it taught me as an adult, uh, and just, you know, both professionally and personally, is that you can't be scared to get too acclimated, or you can't get too acclimated somewhere to the point where you literally stunt your growth, both in this case professionally and also, I think, more uh, very much professionally, obviously, because you're, you're actually taking that step to move up to where you want to be, but personally, I think it was a personal issue more than anything, and that was just being too comfort, or uh, being too stuck to, to try to be in a comfort zone and, and not, you know, being, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you, after the interview and after they called me and offered the job, it was a huge promotion, and part of me didn't want to take it just because of the fear of the newness and I was in a comfort zone where I was and so I think that it parallels a lot of different things in life personally uh, because I think that you can apply that same feeling and that same jump and uh, you know spiritually and and other areas and I think for me what it taught me is it kind of allowed me to mature and realize that you know what uh, it's okay it's good to take steps into, you know, to take the step into the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's better than it ever has been as far as, you know, I've been blessed beyond measure. Uh, yep. So that's what it taught me. And I think there's a lot of spiritual principles and just, you know, personal growth uh, things that I got out of that. Not, not allowing fear to hold you back and be in that comfort zone that you're used to. And therefore, you step out in faith and you grow and you develop into what God wants you to be. Let's move along. If I can get someone to read uh, Ephesians 11, chapter 2, 11 through 16. Um, chapter 2, 11 through 16. Get someone to read that, please. Okay. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hand, that at the time that you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the co uh, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ you uh, uh, who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has m made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having uh, abolished, abolished his flesh, uh, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one man uh, from two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the stake, uh, therefore putting to death the enmity. Yes, in, in the study guide it says, spiritually we become part of a new group too, as Christians, and we enter in the, the Christian church, wherever we come from, whatever our background is. How does Paul describe Gentiles before they became part of this new group? group it's verses 11 through 13 how does Paul describe the Gentiles before they became part of this new group anyone David or Fran Fran and circumcised very good very good anyone else John Strangers from the covenant of promise, having no God, no hope. Mm -hmm. Without hope, no real future other than their physical, and they're under influence of their corrupt nature. 
if I can get someone to read the next paragraph out of the study guide right after the first question. If I can get somebody to read that. Um, Brittany? I volunteered. Brittany? The word Paul uses in verse 12 to describe them as having no God is the word from which we get our word atheists. This is ironic because that's what the Gentiles used to call the Jews and then came to all Christians as well since neither Jews nor Christians had statues of their gods. Um, neither, so far as the Gentile eye could see, offered animal sacrifice, consulted oracles, or did any of the other things that pagans associated with worship of their gods. Paul, boldly standing on the same ground as Jewish writers of the same period, declares that the pagan gods are actually non-gods. Those who think they worship them are worshiping something that doesn't really exist. Yeah, so we, there we get the contrast between the Gentile and the Jew and, and the division that they had and how they couldn't see one another. In question two, it says, what did Jesus do specifically for Gentiles on one hand, that's verses 12 through 14, and the Jewish people on the other hand, verses 14 through 15. Anyone have some comments on that or what it says in verses 12 through 14 and what Jesus did for the Gentiles and then what Jesus did for the Jews in 14 through 15? Yeah, I had um, a little excerpt from my study Bible I wanted to read, which I think is relevant to this. Um, it says the, uh, the middle wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles was vividly portrayed by an actual partition in the temple area. Um, with a sign warning that any Gentile going beyond the court of the Gentiles would receive swift and sudden death. And I'd never heard of that before, actually in the temple, something so severe like that. Um, and that really brings it home as to how much of a separation there really was. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, he, he, Jesus did bring them together, or he attempted to bring them together um, and break down those barriers. And if, if anyone could, he, he surely could, and, and he did in, in a big, big way. But I think that, that, that's, that situation in the temple was something that was really, whew, wow. And it certainly demonstrates the division that was there. And we can uh, get a better handle on that if we, we read the Old Testament, how the, the, the Jews signed up with the covenant, believing that they could, they could do what the covenant said and please God when in fact they couldn't and but they held that righteousness and looked down on the Gentile um, yes what he did for the Jews is to remind them of who they were uh, where they came from and they were once like that and what he did for the Greeks uh, was to reconcile them with the others Ken, did you have something? Jesus did away with the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. With his death, he paid the price of salvation to all peoples, for all peoples. So they were no longer under the system of all the different ordinances and minutiae that the Jews had developed. They didn't have to worry about that. And the Gentiles were able to come to God. Before that, they had no chance at all. They were just out. Um, and so Jesus reconciled to God everybody, and they can come to God through faith in Christ that paid that price. Steve? Well, it's interesting what, what Paul was to do. And uh, when you study Paul on Paul, uh, you, you realize that Christ sent him to the uncircumcised. Um, to bring the uncircumcised into um, the kingdom of God. Well, the opposition, even from the own the Jewish um, converts to Christianity, was immense, and Paul was fighting against them also. He finally, as he was writing, in fact, the whole book of Galatians is is laying down a lot of his um, of what Christ was trying to to teach that there was neither Jew 
nor Gentile. There was neither slave nor free man. There was neither male nor female. All in Christ, through Christ's blood, we are all this, the same. Um, now, some have used a lot of this to uh, say that the, all of the commandments were done away because Christ has paid the penalty for all of that. But we know that Paul's writings also has, um, teaches us differently about that. But he was definitely um, very strong in bringing the Gentiles in and showing, uh, realizing that the times were different, that the time that we live in today where uh, we go into a, a private stall and all of that, they didn't have that. And so remember there was um, a, a piece in the Bible that, that says, uh, they were looking at our freedom, you know, our um, liberty. <laughs> well, the liberty was that this guy wasn't circumcised and this one was, and they were, they were trying to find that out, and there was a great controversy. And so that is a, a great deal of what Paul was in his writings and a lot of things showing how important the sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ is for all of mankind of mankind. That leads very well into the next question, number three. Consider how those receiving this letter from Paul might have reacted to these verses. How easy or difficult do you think it was for them to live out the oneness they were called to as fellow believers in Christ? Steve kind of touched on that very, very well right there. Any, any additional comments? Along that same line, the the attitudes that were involved, uh, the thoughts that they had, the, the heritage that they had, the baggage that they had coming into this oneness. Anyone else? Any other comments? Okay, we'll move on then to number four. Why why did God do all of this? Verse sixteen. Why did God do all of this? Verse sixteen. He did it. So he could what? Anyone? Verse 16, 10. Because his love was focused on bringing us all to him, all the world. He wanted us to be his children. He had plans for us. That was the only way to get it done. And, and he destroyed the enmity between them if they're willing to accept that. Anyone else comment on that? Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, we're going to move right along. We do have a lot of questions to go through. Can I get someone to read the next paragraph after question four, uh, where it starts with today's church? Someone to read? Read that paragraph? Uh, Sean? Today's church may no longer face the question of the integration of Jew and Gentile into a single family, though there are places where there is still a major issue that we face quite urgently. The question which Paul would insist as a major priority, if our churches are still divided in any way along racial or excuse me, cultural lines, he would say that our gospel, our very grasp of the meaning of Jesus' death is called into question. Mm -hmm. Question five addresses the issue more specifically to us. What challenges often come up when groups of people who are used, who used to be separate, come together to form one group? And he, he touched on, on a, a little bit of it there with the racial and the cultural lines. Brittany, um, I think this is a really interesting question because sometimes in our church culture and history we can forget that some of the things we do are just um, doctrines of men <laughs> like our, our it's not they're just traditions that we're used to and not necessarily come from straight from the word of God like for example wearing a suit to church or things like that things that we're used to that are more social than you know um Biblical, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I think that's interesting when different groups come together and they have these different 
walls they put up around what church should be like and, and things like that. And a lot of them are not, uh, they're not, like I said, biblical. They're more social. And, 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 but we don't really view them that way. So sometimes it's, it's I don't know, it's just a really good question, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because today, depending on the size of your church, we may not, one may not have a lot of variety with people from foreign countries or something. But you always can have the social, cultural, language differences. I mean, even from us New Yorkers that come down to Oklahoma. Keith? Yeah, I'm like Brittany. I think uh, this question causes us to look kind of inside how we were brought up. Because what we bring into our faith is our background and how we were taught by parents, you know, teachers, friends, how to think about other people. So then when you come into a family, you're told that now we're family. And sometimes what happens is you still have that wrong thinking about how somebody should be, how they should act. And like she says, it has nothing to do with the Bible. It has to do with how we were brought up on type of music we like, how we dress, you know, age differences on how we look at things. So it's just, there's a lot of things we have to overcome, I think, when we come into the family of God. Yep. And that, it's good to have a question like that because it brings up the awareness. Sometimes we're not aware of those things and we do them subconsciously without a thought. Yes, Reggie? Just because we come together in a group does not mean we deny who we were in the past. We are still that person we, with our life experiences have shaped us. So basically what we need to do is accept the other and all his foibles, warts and all, if you will, um, as a family. Any other comments on that question? Uh, anyone? Nope. I think I'll combine the next two questions just for the sake of time. We got 13 questions to go through with quite a bit. Uh, how well are different, different groups in your church or Christian fellowship included in a single body and what changes do you need to make to encourage more openness to include others who are different in your church? Two, Two-fold question. How well are different groups in your church or Christian fellowship included into a single body? Aletha? I don't think we have that much of a major difference as far as grouping based on cultural or we pretty much a lot come from the same background. As Reggie said, it's the background that's different and that is what's going to separate people. We don't have the, the language, although I did have to interpret for Matthew when he first got over here, <laughs> having been in Britain for four years myself. But I, I, I didn't li really like the way that was worded. I think we're doing a pretty good job of integrating everyone. What we can do better, however, I think is look at Galatians, uh, fruits of the spirit and you know, it says the law of God is, is love, and primarily uh, we need to love one another. I think we could do a better job of showing love. It's outgoing. It's what we want to give to the group and not what we come to take away from the group. Uh, we have a lot of elderly. We have a lot of shut-ins. We have a lot of people on the prayer requests. And I think maybe using the fruits of the Spirit, the patience, taking time to sit down and listen to someone, um, someone previously said, I think maybe Keith, that we bring a lot of baggage with us from our past. Uh, Philippians 3.13 says, forgetting the past, we press forward to the future. And I think now the, with the times that we're living in, that's where our focus needs to be. And we need to be after church. Let's not talk politics or whatever went on during the week. Let's focus on what Christ is telling us and what it, we're, being, we're seeing is developing and how can we strengthen each other? Who's having problems? What kind of problems? Do we know someone who's had that same problem that could maybe help them if we can't? And I, th I think that's a, a culture that we could develop that would be a lot more uh, beneficial to us as a group. Yes, ma'am. Carla? My comment addresses more number seven. <laughs> okay. Um, we need to let it be known that our doors are open to people to come and visit us. You don't have to swear allegiance to the Tulsa Church of God to be able to come here and just let people know that we want them to come join us. Mm -hmm. 
Any others? Matthew? Yeah, um, just a couple of observations, really. I mean, one, N.T. Wright is, you know, when he's written these questions, he's what he's assuming is, is true. There's always going to be subgroups, right, within any larger uh, group. And that's okay because sometimes that's by interest, it's by age, uh, you know, whatever it may be, and it's fairly harmless. And, mm -hmm. you know, that speaks to one of the other questions later, mm -hmm. um, you know, about whether or not it goes against the law of God. And, and I think what, what Alifa said is really true. It's, it's based in love. And the other, the other side of it, being an introvert, I would, uh, I would encourage other introverts to, to take that, that step and, and, and step out of that and show that love and that inclusion. Because oftentimes people stay within their subgroup because they're introverts <laughs> yeah. or they're sure. comfortable within that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it just takes a little bit of extra, you know, boldness as a word to, to kind of cross the room and I'm going to engage with this person that I often don't talk to. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if we all do that, then those barriers that might naturally pop up are just not going to pop up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Curtis, I'll get to you then. Curtis? Yeah, I think this is a really deep question. I think this is a question that I think all of us would agree is uh, somewhat similar to kind of our own culture we're living in in America, which is extremely diverse. You know, when I look at Jesus, I look at someone who picked 12 disciples, and although there were a lot of similarities between the disciples, there were some differences as well. There's a variety among backgrounds, even among those disciples, even though they were all Jewish. And so I, I personally think that there is a strength. It's part of the strength of uh, the Christian faith is the diversity that, you know, God is father and all peoples and all tongues and for me personally I think there's a lot to be said about celebrating those differences and for me to way to celebrate that is I like to hear people's perspectives everyone has a different story everyone has a different narrative that you know that God is writing for them although it's the same in some ways it's different everyone's paths different and so I think that you can learn a lot by people's differences. You know, you think about Jesus. One of the big things that was so different about him was that he didn't just go to people like him. He didn't just go to the religious people, to pe the people that were, you know, the, you know, the ones who were considered righteous. But he would go and have conversations with the outcasts, people that were considered sinners like tax collectors, even brought one into his fold as one of the disciples. So I think that, you know, that's a big part of this faith is understanding that God is trying to bring in, you know, what, you know it's one body, it's one church. Uh, but that one body and that one church is made up of a variety of different people that have different walks. And I think there's a lot to be said about the growth that you can have by just, you know, learning from people's perspectives. I'm not talking about, you know, you know their political perspective. I'm just talking about their life perspective, you know. Um, you know, one person comes from, you know, a, 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 a full home. Mom and dad grew up blessed. One person comes from maybe a single parent home that struggled through life. I think that both can offer each other uh, a lot of perspective and there's growth to be had in hearing each other as we are trying to walk the same mm -hmm. path or towards the same goal of the kingdom of God and that growth in Christ, but yet we're understanding that our paths are different. Mm -hmm. What got us here is different. Mm -hmm. and so that's the strength to me in Christianity is that God's power, his spirit, it's not based upon ethnicity, race, social status, it's based upon, you know, his glory and, and his providence. And so I think that there's a lot of, a lot of growth that can be made by just having a heart to, to, to hear people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, by 
by interfacing with others and you get their life story kind of thing or the difficulties that they had or the successes that they had. It helps us to see how God has worked in their life. It helps build our faith. And uh, it can be a very positive experience. Um, anyone else on that question? Sean? I just want to quickly reiterate, uh, agreeing with what Curtis has said and what Matt was mentioning. I had mentioned I've been to many different jobs since I've been here. Oh, and as a GE, I sat in a cubicle in the back, and I just wanted to be by myself, and was being uh, very uh, comfort zone right there, not growing within the company. And so my manager said, hey, I want you to get around and start doing some different things, and forced me out of my comfort zone. So I think it's good, like Curtis is saying, to just interact with other people. And iron sharpens iron. We're not going to get any growth on our own. Uh, I mean, we do directly through God with the inspiration we have with him, but we have to work together with diverse situations of people outside of work, being a good example of them and helping them. And, I mean, within the church as well. Just, it's good to be a community of believers that help each other. And it's an opportunity to learn from, from one another and about one another. Absolutely. Anyone else on uh, Fran? Okay, on mine, I said, ask God to help me see how I treat others and to study 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. And I think if we learn to pray for each other, as we're praying, as we learn or get acquainted with uh, others and we find the problems that they're suffering from and we pray for them, that unites us automatically. That unites us. And there are some special needs uh, spiritual widows and spiritual orphans have. Uh, when they come into a church, you know, they really... Uh, yes. One thing that I've always appreciated about this church is the fact that we're really good at being a welcome wagon of sorts to newcomers. Um, by the time that I get to go up and... Um, introduce myself there's a whole line you know and um, you know that in coming here they're seeking something that they're missing and that central being God you know so um, I love that we're feeding them a food that they are starving for because by the time I say hi to them they are going Everyone is so nice. Everyone, I've had so many, this church is so warm. So I think that's something that I really appreciate about um, our church, but one that I've been here for almost 21 years, and I've seen it's never failed. Everyone has been so genuinely kind and open, and I w was on the receiving end of that. So I can appreciate how that has made me feel. So just... Um, it just I just want to encourage everybody to keep that up because it's just something that I notice and I appreciate. Anyone else? Another comment on the, your study on this particular question? Anyone else? We'll move on to the next one. Okay, we'll go on to number eight. We're moving right along here very well. How, in light of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and ahead of, ahead in 4, 17 through 24, can we tell the difference between the differences which we must disregard within the church and the differences which are still important? I'll reread that question. It's a little, a little tricky. How, in light of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, can we tell the difference between the differences that we must disregard within the church and the differences which are still important? Anybody get their mind around that one? The differences and the differences. Uh, Matthew? Uh, I may have been looking this a little simplistic, but um, it's God's law, right? So uh, that's our ruler. Um, so if a practice is against the law of God in, in, in you know, essence, in deed, then we can discard it. Um, you know, as Brittany was talking about earlier, we also need to recognize that there's just kind of traditions that are not the law of God, you know, 
but they may be beneficial, and to change them may have some neg negative consequences. So we kind of need to be a little bit wise in that. Um, and then I'm reminded of what, what Paul says, you know, whatever is good, whatever is holy, you know, a good report, do those things. So it's okay to have uh, beneficial traditions um, if they are supported or validated by the law of God. Okay. And certainly uh, social, the cultural, the national, and you can get in even to certain economic uh, values and practices that, that some of them are acceptable and some of them are not. Uh, Brittany? Um, so this is an interesting question that I've come across a, a lot in my travels. And I've been to, I've, I've visited other countries a lot and gone to churches there and met a lot of um, friends. Um, in our church tradition and you know you go and sometimes the services aren't there's not a word of English spoken the whole time and but you have a connection like there are a lot of differences different languages different backgrounds different countries but you find that the things you have in common are the important things um, and you know like your your faith in God and your trust and and trying to follow him and do what's right and there are a lot of different ways to approach it and a lot of different backgrounds, but you find that the things that you have in common are the most important things, and the rest of it are just details. <laughs> in, in your travels overseas and all, in the, yeah. the foreign countries and all, yeah. did you find most of them to be pretty welcoming and, and warm and friendly, or did, I, did you I have did. some? Because Church of God groups overseas, mostly in England and Europe, where I've been, um, they're pretty small. So when they get visitors, they're very welcoming. <laughs> they're very welcoming, yeah. Steve? Um, all of us that come to, to Christ must be willing to give up the works of the flesh. Um, you know, there's, you know, we're all um, able to come to, to God and to come to Christ. Uh, but to, to do that, we must also be willing to give up those works of the flesh. Uh, Galatians, you know, Paul also talks about that in Galatians 5. Works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, all of the various ones, so that the Spirit then can bear fruit. Um, if we're not willing to give up the works of the flesh, we go back into the world is what it amounts to. And so consequently, uh, those are the things that, uh, you know, when we come to this way of life, we must be willing to do. Anyone else? Okay, we'll move on to question number nine. <clears throat> Can I get someone to read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through uh, 22? 17 through 22. We need a reader. Anybody? Reader? Where's our readers? Come on, come on. Come on, come on, don't be bashful. John? And it came to pass and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by the one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the names and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for an habitation of God in the spirit. How did his life and death bring peace for both the Jews and the Gentiles? He focuses in on verses 17 and 18 here. Anyone on your studies? How did he bring peace to both the Jews and the Gentiles um, through his death? Anyone? Mark? 
Well, I mean, for me, the obvious uh, initial thing is we all have access to Jesus Christ, and all, we also have access to gaining the Holy Spirit if we're willing to believe in Him, accept Him as our Savior, and um, and and also when you do that, take on the Holy Spirit and accept Christ as your Savior. You also then um, have access through Him as a mediator between yourself and the Father, as it says. He is that one. Yes, and he, he proclaimed the readiness of God to forgive and save both the Jews and the Gentiles and, and bring that, that unification together uh, to those who are willing to do that. Uh, any uh, comments from anyone else on what you found in your Bible study? Comments? Anyone? Oh, okay, well, we'll move on to question 10. In what ways have you experienced this peace? This is kind of connected to question number 9, where Jesus' life and death brings peace to the Jews and Gentiles. Now, this one gets personal. How have you experienced this peace? In what ways? What have you gone through wherein Jesus has brought you peace? Alifa? The most uh, visible one was when Pat was dying. He was on the couch, and we didn't know he had a stroke at first. And I was sitting there watching him, trying to give him some comfort. And it was like I was wrapped in a soft blanket. And the words were, I'm here, I'm with you, you'll get through this, lean on me. And so over the, ne the next four hours, that went on until he went to the hospital and passed away two hours later. And the kids were kind on, the, on their way, but I was there totally by myself, and yet I didn't feel alone at all. I had that comfort, I had that peace through that whole process of even moving down here and everything that, that I had to do following that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The peace of God is uh, experiencing that is, is, is a motivation and a mover uh, to Christian growth. Steve, did you have? Steve? I, I, we read it every year, and I think that's one of the things that has, um, has always given me peace, and that's uh, John, the 14th chapter. Let your heart not be troubled. You're, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And for, for me, that's comforting. That's, that's peaceful. Because no matter what happens on this earth, we have a place, we have a, we have a crown that's waiting for us, and we might experience a great deal of tribulation in our life and different things, but we can go to these scriptures and be comforted that that's what's ahead for each and every one of our lives, that, except Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, John 14 through 17 are my favorite chapters in the higher Bible, actually. Anyone else? Keith? Yeah, I think about being accepted into the family of God. <clears throat> and like Steve said, what peace that is to know we have a home in Christ. And that became our home. And as I was thinking about this this morning, I'm not sure how many people have seen the movie Blindside. It's been around quite a while. But it's a young man who's homeless who's adopted into a family who's pretty wealthy and has a college that they associate with that they graduate with the parents and I remember the scene of the counselor who's trying to let the young man know that he's being played by these parents they adopted him so that they could get him into their college because he's a good football player and I remember his mind playing with that and he goes off and then he finally comes to a, a realization he comes back and he tells her I'm going to go to this college because it's where my mom and dad went and at that point, it's like a change. He went from thinking about, are they playing me to know this is my mom and dad, and this is their college, and so it's going to be my college. And the way that hit me was, that's how it is with God. We finally realize he's our father, and we're in his family. And it's like, everything's okay. 
there's a peace that just overcomes anything and everything like they're talking about that, that might come your way. So that's what I think of. You know, that's part of growing and having life's experience and coming to trust God in that and Jesus in that way and following his lead. And uh, another comment, another comment on this one. Uh, David? Yeah, I know you're trying to get through here pretty quick. Uh, the peace of God, Fran and I began to understand, as I mentioned a while ago, that in the early 60s we had began to understand some of the basic doctrines of the church. We began to understand the overall plan of God, although we had a lot to learn, but we understood the basic prophecies also. And a lot of the older people will remember in the early 60s uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And a lot of the world was really upset, including Oklahomans were upset, and people had their uh, uh, fallout shelters and things of that nature. And uh, to make a long story short, for some that don't know, uh, uh, we thought that uh, Russians were building missile sites in Cuba, and Russian ships were going down there to supply them, and President Kennedy uh, threatened them, you do not do that. There's going to be consequences, and a lot of people were really fearful. And I was working the night shift at the time, and I'd go to work, and, and most of my comrades, my fellow workers, were, were terrified. You know, what if the Russians don't turn around? What are we going to do? And that was really uh, a good comforting to us to see them turn around, and we knew that at that time, from what we understood about prophecy, that Russia was not the biggest deal that we were worried about, and this is not going to happen yet. And so it was just a faith builder to us. And, uh, you know, that was, I'm very fortunate, I'm very thankful for that. Anyone else? Okay, let's go on to the next, one, next question. <clears throat> Paul describes our equality in Jesus with three images, citizens, family, and building. How is each of these three words descriptive of people before and after they become Christians? How are each of these three words, citizens, family, and building, descriptive of people before and after they become Christians? You ready? Well, as citizens, we, a new citizen to a country, must disavow his previous, any allegiance that he has to his former country and, his, uh, uh, and, and declare his allegiance to the new country. Just as uh, Christians must disavow the ways of the world and adopt the ways of uh, the kingdom. As family members, um, we are adopted into the family. We still retain our old identity, but we uh, are accepted and pledge our allegiance to this new family, this new group. And as um, pieces of the temple um, or a part of the building, we become an integral part of the building, not just something that's, that is in standing inside it. We actually become part of it and support it in that way. We can contribute and help build the structure, if you will, which is the church, the people in the church, help their development. Um, another uh, aspect of that question, anyone, please, anyone? Another one? Another way of building um, citizens, family, and the building is reflected by equality in Jesus. Anyone? No? Can I get someone to read the next paragraph in the book? Page 26, after question 11. Can you get somebody to read that? Alifa? The closing verses of the chapter take one of the central symbols of Judaism and turn it inside out. The temple in Jerusalem was not only the religious heart of the nation and the place of pilgrimage of Jews throughout the world, it was also the political, social, musical, and cultural heart of Jerusalem, as well as the place of celebration and feasting. 
The reason for all this was, of course, that Israel's God had promised to live there. It was, many believed, the place where earth and heaven met. But now Paul is declaring that the living God is constructing a new temple. It consists not of stones, arches, pillars, and altars, but of human beings. Some Jews had already explored the idea that a community, rather than a building, might be the place where God would really and truly take up his residence. But until Paul, no one had said anything quite like this. Okay, question 12 says, let's look again at each of these three images. Citizens, family members, and a building. What are the implications for being a citizen of God's kingdom? It has to do with our rewards in our future. What did you learn in the Bible study or what have you and, um, have your comments. Anyone? Certainly we're going. Fran? Yes. Uh, my understanding is we'll be citizens of God's kingdom. We will be f uh, families in God's kingdom, but we'll also be part of the building. Um, so that's my understanding of that. In the some, to one of the churches he writes, in one of the letters to the seven churches, he says, you will be pillars in the temple. Yes, Mark? Yeah, um, I don't know if Matt mentioned this earlier, but um, my aspect of looking at the citizen, of becoming a U.S. citizen from being a British citizen, mm -hmm. is when I became a citizen in 2009, ever since I moved here in 2002, um, I always accepted that this was my adopted country, that my wife is from here, my two kids have been born here, but I loved America. I always have loved America ever since I was a kid. I've mentioned that before in, in messages before. Um, and I knew what it meant to become a citizen of the United States of America. And in the same way, I know what it means to become a citizen in God's kingdom. And I know that I have a responsibility in that kingdom. And that's not to be looked at lightly we all will have responsibilities as kings and high priests and, and so on but we've been called and we have a hope in that future and to look at that responsibility and look at the the whole picture with with the true understanding that god gives us is is important yes the, the, the responsibilities and the and in what we do in this life and how we're going to be rewarded um, by christ for the things that we do some rulers over ten cities, some rulers over one, maybe a local, maybe national, others a pillar in the temple over in Jerusalem. So there are fantastic rewards uh, just through the kingdom of God. Then, of course, then there's after that and beyond that out into the future that we don't really have a whole lot of visibility on of what he has in future uh, for us after all of this. Uh, someone else's comments on what it means to be a citizen and a family member and part of a building uh, and the, the, the implications for being a citizen in the kingdom of God. Darla? I just wrote two words, you belong. Okay. Anyone else? Reggie? When we become a citizen of a new country, we commit ourselves to obeying the laws of that country. And it's about. Mm -hmm. Darla's comment about belonging goes back to most of what this chapter is about, the family and the attitudes and the, the camaraderie and the joining together. Uh, uh, any other comments about um, being a citizen of the kingdom of God and what it means to you personally? What's your hopes? Do you have any hopes and dreams of, of what it will mean and what you'll be able to experience? Anyone? Matthew? just also occurred to me that um, becoming a citizen of another country, you know, uh, I thought about this uh, when I was doing the Bible study. I no longer have to really worry about the old one. Um, and I know that sounds a little selfish, but <laughs> I mean, this. I did joke when I uh, became, you know, actually just a resident alien that I could now fight and die for two countries because I got selective service registration in the mail, you know. But 
moving here, I decided, well, I'm not going to try and vote in the UK. I, I can. I could legally still vote in UK stuff, but I don't live there. And should I make decisions or be part of making the decisions for, for that country? And so in a, in a sense, now we can leave this country behind when we recognize who are fully citizens of the world to come, of the new kingdom. Um, and, and, and so that's kind of liberating because we can certainly get frustrated about things that happen in the country around us, can't we? So oh, absolutely. We, we can leave that behind in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Or additional comments of what it means to you to be a citizen in the kingdom of God and the future that is lying before, before you and us? The great future. Any other comments? No? Okay, we'll move along then to, to uh, question 13. How should our interactions with each other be different because we are members of God's family? This is a little bit of a trick question. At least I know when I first read it, I took it two different ways. How should our interactions with each other be different because we are members of God's family? Comments. Comments. What did you learn from your Bible studies? Is there something different that we should be doing when, between ourselves as members in the church? Or uh, do we just go along with everything as it, as it is uh, in the world, or is he talking about uh, behaving differently to people in the world versus people that are in the church? And what are those differences? What would you do differently for somebody in the church that perhaps you wouldn't do for something for someone in the world? Any comments? Was that a hand, Keith? No, no. <laughs> Alifa. I think a big implication on this is interacting with each other, as I mentioned before, the encouragement, getting to know each other better, but then I think this also goes down to the teens and our young people. We need to be talking to them in a positive way about the future so that they get the fire in their bellies, if you will, for the kingdom of God and don't, as my daughter said when she was little, she would be laying on the floor and hear Mr. Waterhouse talk about the horrible things to come and it would scare her and she'd have nightmares. I think we need to do this for our youth. We need to encourage the, the youth teachers and, and help them and let them be a part. You know, if they want to help in the kitchen, I had offers earlier today, and let them do that. Get them engaged. Get them talking and looking to their future. You know, what do you want to do? Do you want to rule a kingdom? Do you want to rule a city? Do you want to have a planet of your own? And then have programs or even just talking to them so we can, you know how they say role play. Picture yourself in a situation. Okay, someone's standing in front of you and he's pointing an AK-47 at you. What are you going to do? Are you going to let your fear take over? Or are you going to stop and think for a minute and, and be strengthened because you've already prepared your mind for that? And I, I think this is a big thing that uh, we're going to be facing some things and I think our youth need to be strengthened and encouraged. And then, as was said earlier, we need to encourage each other because we are all having different types of trials, whether it's financial or illness or disease and other other issues that uh, everyone is different with what they have and so we just need to help and love and encourage each other mm -hmm. yeah along that same line is if we can if we can see a connection between the things that we suffer in this world right now and see how it can help our development and contribute to our reward in the kingdom I think that's a strengthening and a point of understanding that can really help us make uh, good decisions and, and be strengthened through whatever situations that we happen to uh, have. Uh, any other comments and, and our interactions with each other? And uh, what is be different because we're members of God's family? Any, any other comments? Fran? I would probably be less trusting in the world I would be much less trusting. I would trust my brothers in Christ. I don't want to embarrass you. Have you ever been disappointed by your brothers in Christ? <laughs> of course, we all have. We're people, right? So we all have on occasion. But we also are able to forgive. Anyone other? Any other question? Yes, Sean? I have love, patience, kindness, fellowship, encouragement, and forgiveness. 
all very good aspects of, 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 of traits that we need. Anyone else? Okay, well, well I guess we'll, we'll wrap this up and we'll close with, a, with a, a prayer for the opportunity to give thanks to God for the opportunity to be in his family and, and uh, the opportunity to make others feel welcome. If you'd bow your heads, please. Father God, we come before you and your son Jesus and give you thanks for the opportunity to have this Bible study and to learn about you, about your family, about your citizenship, and about the building that, uh, and the, both what you have done in the past to facilitate this, to bring us peace and wealth, good welfare, and the future that you have for us with the rewards, a future that is, is beyond our understanding right now. And we just thank you for all of these things from the bottom of our heart. We ask also that you would help us to have a vision that we can see the things that we suffer that are not necessarily negative, that they are helping to groom us, mold us, form us into the being that you want us to become. And if we lend ourselves to that and keep in close contact with you, we can have a very, very bright future with a fulfilled reward that you're going to provide for us. We thank you for your guidance and the direction that you've given us in the past and ask you to continue doing that. And again, give you thanks for this uh, opportunity for this Bible study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.